This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, this is Lou Mangello from WDW Radio. And when I'm not at Walt Disney World or sharing my passion for Disney World or eating, I am stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're your insurance answer station. What types of insurance should you have? What's not needed? How much do you need? All of your questions answered. So buckle up, it's going to be an amazing ride. Plus, I'm sure you get all of your best advice from TikTok, right? I mean, I know I do. But is there anything you need to be worried about? During our headline segment, we talk about a recent video that might have you dancing to a new song with your money. And then, of course, there's always time for my world-renowned trivia. And now, two guys who better take out some insurance on this beautiful voice of mine. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Can you imagine Lloyd's of London? What would they price that at? At least $11. It's like Tom Brady's throwing shoulder. You see <laughs> Doug going voice. in there being like, la 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 la. Right. <laughs> and they're like, sir, that is a normal voice. But it's the voice of the Stacking Benjamin Show. You have no idea. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me. Speaking of phenomenal voices, it's the phenomenal right. voice of OG. I've been working on it. How's my voice coaching going? I'm it's kidding. A- I'm not doing any voice I, I was like, your voice coaching? When did that start? We, we should probably get some. We should probably get some. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. Somebody's going to write in and go, yeah, whoever you're hiring, you should fire because they're terrible. If you could get rid of that Middle West accent. I don't think I have a Midwest accent. Okay, dear. All right. Big thanks to everybody who hung out with us on Monday. Uh, actually, the, the event happened last week, but uh, big thanks to it's everybody. Like a, it's like a Doug Bender. It goes from Wednesday to Monday. <laughs> it's like a five-day or... What the heck happened there? But we had a great time with all of our experts. Uh, So glad so many of you made it out to the YouTube channel. If you want to keep up with that, head to the stacker, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Hey, we got a great show. We're talking insurance today. We've got a lot going on today in the basement. We're going to help a lot of people make better insurance decisions. And as you know, OG, insurance is the one area of the financial plan I think people get wrong more than any other piece of the financial plan. Would you agree with that assessment? Between that and like estate planning, those yeah. are probably the top two things because nobody wants to talk about it. It's just, 
it's uncomfortable to think about your own demise or illness. It's uncomfortable to think of your spouses. And then it's expensive. It's one of those things that you have to write checks for, hoping that you never, ever have to use. So hopefully, because of all those things, you just go, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully today we're going to save people a bunch of money on insurance and actually more importantly, get the right insurance. Uh, But if we can maybe save some money in one area that we don't need insurance, use that money so it doesn't affect the budget to get the better stuff in place. Hey, that's a win too. First, we got a couple headlines and man, these are going all kinds of directions. So let's get this thing started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline here was brought to us by lots of our listeners. I know Gregory in the basement was one person who suggested it, but uh, thank you to so many people for reaching out with this story. This is written by Sean Langlois in Market Watch. Heartbreaking story of rookie trader who racked up $700,000 in debt. Finance isn't worth losing your life over. You saw this, OG. I did. Yeah, terrible. The stock market, Sean writes, particularly in its current state, is no place for amateurs. Solomar Capital analyst Bill Brewster delivered that message to followers in a heartbreaking Twitter thread in which he shared a family member's tragic foray into trading. So Bill's tweets read uh, like this. Bill says, this is still really raw and I have more questions and answers, but it's very important and intersects with what I speak about here. Hopefully my family's tragedy can help another family avoid tragedy. My cousin-in-law was interested in investing. He opened a Robinhood account and he seemed to be enjoying the markets as many of us do or have done. He got interested in options. He believed he had no margin selected on his account. Can we explain a couple of those things, OG? Uh, first of all, trading in options. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Trading in options. So you can buy a stock or you can buy a mutual fund or an ETF or whatever, or you can buy the opportunity to buy the stock or the ETF in the future. And so the idea is if you think that today's price is attractive, but you don't want to put a ton of money behind it, you can kind of reserve your place in line, so to speak. And you do that by writing a check and you say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pay this money today for the opportunity to buy this investment in the future at a specified price. If that price manifests itself, you're able to take advantage of that and you can make some money doing that. The problem is, is that these options are traded second by second and they also have a market for themselves also. So that is its own little market investment also. You know, you don't have to wait and say, I think Disney's going to be at 150 in three years, but I don't want to put, you know, $100 into it. I can buy it, the option for a dollar, but that dollar could go to $2 and you could sell out of it. So it's its own little derivative trading type thing. Also, this uh, idea of, of margin. Can we talk about that? Yeah, margin is basically using your existing portfolio to buy more stock with. It's just, it's going to the bank and getting a loan. It's like using your home equity loan to redo the kitchen. So you can take your stock and without any credit or approval or anything like that, you can say, hey, I've got $10,000 worth of stock. What do you give me for it? And most brokers will give you 70 cents on the dollar. So they'll say, well, we'll give you another 7,000 bucks to spend based on the 10,000 you have. So now you have $17,000 invested and the interest rates are pretty gosh darn high on margin loans. It's an unsecured loan. So it's akin to a credit card. It's no different than just swiping your credit card and buying stock with it. Yeah. In fact, some people use margin in their account to use their portfolio to buy stuff, which is a horrible way to buy stuff. 
Yeah, it's a terrible way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Bill continues about this gentleman, his cousin-in-law, who's buying options and believed he had no margin selected, which means he doesn't think he can borrow money and get into debt. Bill writes, so he began buying and selling options. Fast forward to sometime this past week, and his account showed him owing $700,000 plus. How does a 20-year-old with no income get access to that kind of leverage, exposure, question mark, exclamation point? Any idea there, OG? Well, I mean, it's it's basically the the same story that we had about the person who was trading oil, oil futures and went from you know, 70 grand to negative 9 million. The explosive nature of options, what people don't understand with options is that you're not buying one of them. One contract is worth a hundred of them. They trade, It's worth a so hundred shares. Yeah, a hundred shares. Absolutely. So when you see, oh, I can buy this option for a dollar, it's not a dollar, it's a hundred dollars because you have to buy a hundred of them at a time. And so if you're thinking in your head, oh, I want to buy a hundred of them, and you put your order in for a hundred, then you really just bought ten thousand of them, a hundred one hundreds. And if you're successful, which some people happen to be early on in this, which is probably the worst thing imaginable, just like your uh, crap story. It's terrible <laughs> to be successful at the casino or first. But if you're successful, then that compounds it in a hurry, you know, because if you happen to be right three trades in a row. And especially if you follow something like that's really pornographic, like the Reddit trading boards, you'll see stories of people on there who have gone from $10,000 allegedly to four or $500,000 in a week just because they, they traded and leveraged it up and traded and leveraged and got right. And now imagine if you did that on a $500,000 trade and then got it wrong. And that's probably what happened here is that he was probably right a couple times in a row. Settlement has an issue with that. When you buy stock, you don't have to pay for it right away. You got three days. Options to me are a lot like the equivalent of real estate transactions. You know, real estate shows a lot more winners when real estate's going well because of leverage, but then it also flushes more people during downturns. I mean, 2007, 2008, was a big giant flush out of that market because, and it wasn't because a real estate price is declining. If you don't have a loan on the property, OG, you can withstand that. But if you have a loan on the property, you're, you're in big trouble. Options here can be the same way. And, and, and in this volatile market, I mean, think about how easy it is to get it wrong in, I guess what we would call a normal market, even though you and I have talked about before, there's really no such thing, but this clearly isn't a market like, we saw on 99% of the days two years ago, as an example. So, well, it's just super, yeah, it's super volatile, and volatility affects option prices more. And this is what's interesting about it if you know about option trading, you actually want higher volatility, right? Which higher volatility equates to higher price swings in those options because they're more thinly traded. I mean, you're talking about you can look up. Disney stock today and see how much Disney traded. Millions of shares Disney stock traded. And then you look at, well, how much did the option to buy Disney stock at a hundred bucks that expires in September trade? A thousand of them. <laughs> you know, like millions and millions and millions of Disney shares traded and a thousand of those traded. So where's there an opportunity for, you know, bad pricing? Where's there an opportunity for 
error, fraud, leverage, like all that stuff is compounded because there's there's really not a market for it. A thousand trades is really not that big in the grand scheme of things. Bill continues, and I, I obviously we know where this story's going. The emotional stress from this exposure, owing seven hundred thousand plus dollars, caused him to take his own life. Bill writes, I don't feel right sharing this, but I also don't feel right keeping it from the world. Why? Because recently I've been joking about how much I love DDTG, and that's uh, Mr. Portnoy, who we were talking about last week, OG, was making fun of Warren Buffett and how he was killing it. And, when, and he was he was beating the hell out of, of that. He said, I've laughed at the Robin Hood memes, but here's the truth. And please pay attention to this if you're young. The markets are bananas right now. It's not the time for amateurs Really, really pay attention to position sizing. Stay away from exotic instruments like options and futures. These are the times Buffett talks about being more careful because others aren't. Also, everything you see on this platform is coming from someone with a bias, myself included. Don't pay attention to how many followers someone has, where they work. Judge investments on their own merits as you understand them. And if you find yourself in a world of shit, please talk to your family. And then he says, hit me up. You're not alone. Finance isn't worth losing your life over. And then Bill asks, uh, if you know of Robinhood willingly extending way too much credit margin, please let me know. They're squarely on my radar. And uh, he also finishes with uh, a bit of cover my ass here. I haven't seen the actual account. I only know what his final note said. He cited the figure and I'm just relaying what he said. By the way, Robinhood declined to share any details of the trading account and how such outsized losses piled up. That did say the company was aware of the situation. Uh, I remember Robinhood a couple, was that a year ago, had the infinite leverage glitch? I just, I, oh, I don't want to get back into the Robinhood thing again, but, but you have amateur traders on a platform with no tools to make good decisions. I really like what Bill says here about this is not a market for amateurs. And so how do you not be an amateur OG? You get more information. If you're going to trade, if you're going to follow like a Phil Town type strategy, Phil trades on information. Warren Buffett that's, trades that's on trading. This is all it's betting. All, all of this is speculation. Yeah, it's no different than going to the casino. I mean, it really is 100 percent. And some people have, believe it or not, actually like this rise of option trading slash day trading to the fact that there's not been live sports because there's not been live sports. People have to get their fix. Yeah. You know, people who are used to betting on live sports. Sure. They're saying that I don't have that anymore. So now I've got to. I think that and uh, people on Twitter suggested to me also that this rise almost a year ago now of zero fees, zero fees also makes it easy. Oh, well, to do that, I mean, TD Ameritrade uh, put a chart that showed their average trade volume, you know, year over year was, you know, they were trading a million shares a day and it jumped to like three and a half million. I mean, it's a hockey stick. As soon as the trades went to zero, it went up. Of course, we could spend an hour on talking to everybody about how you're not actually getting free trades and it's costing you more to trade, notwithstanding the fact that you're probably messing it up. But um Turns out none of those companies are going out of business. Weird. Obviously, there's a mental health piece of this. If you are having mental health issues, you've got to talk to somebody. You've got to yeah. go. You've you've got to go talk to somebody. Well, when it comes to money and your finances and your personal life stability, I mean, we've put a lot of energy and effort into 
being financially independent and getting out of debt and recognizing that having some of those things make it even worse, right? You know, having debt and that sort of stuff. But like the guy said here at the very beginning of this piece, it's important, but it's not worth losing your life over. No, so, no. So it, there's, there's ways out. If you are in trouble, ask for help. There's people who can help you. Absolutely. And back to the market, CNBC's Jim Cramer last Friday addressed the dangers of this current climate. He said, it got too easy. Now we all have to suffer as the get-rich-quick crowd gets blown out, he said on his Mad Money show. Our second headline, man, how do you follow that up? Let's go completely in the opposite direction. This is fantastic. Uh, this, by fantastic, I mean, this is a train wreck, OG. Uh, this is uh, Peter Huminsky at Thorium Wealth on Twitter. Showed off to his followers, me included, this a TikTok video. This is a woman on a TikTok video talking about, well, just, just listen. Here's the audio from a TikTok video. You're going to love this. Things that we're not told to build wealth. Pot two. Most people grow up and get a job and they are offered a 401k plan. This 401k is supposed to help you build your wealth and save for retirement. Most people don't know that there's also an option called an annuity. The difference between the two may shock you. Not to sound like clickbait, but seriously. With the 401k, your money is going to go up and down with the stock market. With an annuity, it will only go up. So that means as the stock market goes up, your money grows. If it dips, it stays. It never goes down. There it is. Damn, I've been doing it wrong my whole life. 22 years of this, Joe, and I finally got schooled up on exactly how to do this by a TikTok video. What, what the hell? What the hell? Well, this is the same thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I'm in this group, but I'm in some Facebook group online. I tried to even comment on it. wouldn't even let me comment. So I don't know if it's just something that shows up that you can see or whatever. But somebody was asking a question, and it, it kind of was an estate planning type question. And there were like seven comments about this person's question slash problem goal that they're trying to solve from an estate planning standpoint. And the seven comments were all wrong. Like every single one of them was completely incorrect. And it was, and the comments were like, oh, this is what you have to do. And, they, and then the, the original poster was like, oh, okay, cool, I'll do that. And then the next one's like, no, actually, you have to do this. He's like, oh, okay, cool, I'll do that too. And then uh, you can do this. <laughs> Every single slide to, I sent, sent to the state budget attorney, I'm, I said, am I, am I missing something? Are these, this, these are all completely incorrect. That's what you get for uh, getting financial advice from TikTok, I guess, is you get to put all your money in annuities. So good luck. Let's talk about all the ways that this woman is wrong. We're going to have a discussion about annuities. And by the way, annuity salespeople out there, this crap is why people hate annuities. And it's why yeah. people don't buy annuities. And you and I have gone on record. There are plenty of people that need annuities and they need what they do. But when you sell annuities this way, when you sell them this way with half-truths and lies, that's it's inauthentic. The, oh, it's it's absolutely horrible. An annuity has nothing to do with a 401k plan. Let's talk about the type of annuity she's talking about. Oh, gee, first of all, where are some of the flaws in this? Uh, in this well, thing? I like what you said. I think the important thing to recognize is that you can have a 401k. You can have an annuity. You can have an annuity inside your workplace plan. You can have an annuity outside of your workplace plan. 
you can have both of them. One doesn't have to determine which one of these two paths that you have to go down. So, so you can have both. I don't think that most people want both, but you can have both. And, um, uh, so you just kind of right out the gate, leading with the assumption that you can only choose one of these two things is, uh, completely false. And, you know, I mean, try to give the benefit of the doubt here is one of two things, right? Either this person is woefully misinformed and just very incompetent or doing completely illegal stuff. So it's either illegal or incompetence. Those are the two choices that, that this person can Illegal make. because she's, uh, she's, um, uh, not, not telling the truth. Not telling the truth. Yeah. No, she, she either knows that she's committing falsehoods, right? Lying about it. Or she doesn't know that she is. And she's just regurgitating what was told to her by a sales professional. If that's the case, then the salesperson should have an issue. And the issue here is, by the way, what she's saying is truthful. There are types of annuities that go up with the stock market, but don't go down when the stock market goes down. But that's not true either. That's like 40% of it is accurate. Well, that's what I, that's it's what I was going to say. That way. You it's and I are about to talk about that. insurance and an, an annuity. Oh, geez, an insurance product. So backwards. What's that? It's a backwards insurance product. Well, it is, but you pay for what she's talking about. And the way you pay for it is when the stock market goes up, she, she, she makes it sound like, like, if you don't know what the hell you're doing, you think that every time the stock market goes up, you go up the same number. She never says that. But she certainly implies that when the stock market goes up, you go up. When it goes down, you don't. The answer to that is yes. However, you go up a small percentage of it. You don't go up anywhere near that. Well, even if so. All right. So a couple of things, because people are probably losing their minds here about what we're talking about. So there's two types of things that she could be talking about here. The first one would be what's called a fixed indexed annuity. A fixed index annuity works like this. You buy an insurance contract, you buy an annuity, that's what that is, you put $100,000 into it, and then you pick from a, an allotment of different choices of what do you want your money to be invested in similar to what type of index. So you'll say, oh, I want my money to be like the S&P, or I want my money to be like the uh, NASDAQ 100, or I want my money to be like you know the FTSE 100 or whatever. There's a list of them. And you pick, and that locks you in for probably a year period. And then they take a picture. Let's say you pick the S&P. They take a picture of the S&P 500 that day. And then they take a picture of the S&P 500 on the back end of that 12 months later. Exactly 12 months later. And you say, oh, the S&P went up 10%. Therefore, I should go up 10%. False. The next layer of that calculation is what's called participation rate. So you get what the S&P does up to a certain X. amount. Yeah. Or, and or you get a percentage of what the S&P does up to a certain amount. Or it's uncapped. So there's two different options there. So let's say that they say your participation rate is 25%. Like, 25% sounds like a good return, doesn't it? I'll take 25%. No, hold on. It's 25% of the 10%. So the S&P went up 10, you get two and a half. Huh. Okay. Wait, there's more. There's also a cost to this product, which is usually in the 1% to 2% range. So what's 1% of 102000 a thousand bucks, let's say. So now at the end of all of this, you're left with $101,000 in exchange for the fact that if the market went down 10% next year, your account value will go down zero. 
but you still have the $1,000 fee. So that's one type of product. We have used these in, in our business before. You've used them in your business before. They are not to be sold. They are not to be compared to equity type investments. This is a fixed income product. 100%, the most you can absolutely positively show any sort of projections on this is 2% a year. That's the number. You're comparing this to a fixed income product. The fixed income product that doesn't have a down, that doesn't go down, right? And it has an option to turn it into a stream of income. So that's the first side, fixed indexed annuities. The other side, which I was kind of comparing this to in my head as we were talking about, were variable annuities with guaranteed benefits. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And in that case, your money can be invested in mutual fund-like accounts, and it can rise and do whatever it does with the market. And the way that those are sold is they'll say, hey, you get all the upside, but none of the downside. Well, that's not entirely true. Actual account value, you have to recognize with a variable annuity with uh, guaranteed benefits, there's two columns that you're paying attention to. The first column is your actual account value. And that actual account value is going to go up and down just like your regular brokerage account will. It does its thing. And then there's the other column that's your withdrawal value. And your withdrawal value is the higher, generally, the higher of your highest watermark at a predetermined time, let's say annually, with an adjustment of at least this percent per year. And so the way that the annuity salespeople will use this is they'll say, hey, you get all the upside, you get all the market, none of the downside. When you go take the money out, you're going to get the highest watermark out of all of it. Partial truth. The asterisk to that is, assuming that you take it out according to our schedule. So you have this product, you put $100,000 in it, it grows like the market does, there's ups and downs, and, and the market crashes in March of 2020, and your $200,000 account is now worth one hundred and twenty, and you say, hey, I want to take my 200000 out. The annuity company says, well, you can take it out, but you have to follow our rules. And our rules are, we'll let you take out the 200000 as long as you take out no more than, uh, let's say, 9000 bucks a year from now until you're 120. But hey, you get all 200 out. Am I right? If you ask, actually ask, the salespeople, whether or not they have read the prospectus, all this information is disclosed, has to be. A hundred out of a hundred people haven't read the prospectus. I guarantee it. Have no idea. I've literally known two people in my life that have read prospectuses of annuities, and they both run annuity websites precisely to help educate people on what are all the hidden stuff inside of there. Like, what is all this stuff that's going on that I'm getting all the glossy stuff on the front, and that sounds really pretty. But you know what's downside? Now here's the thing: like we've said on the show before, it's an arrow in your quiver. And if an annuity is right for you, if the guaranteed income stream is correct, or we used an annuity product for a client who had a had a life threatening illness, and it came with a death benefit guarantee. The guy couldn't get life insurance. We're going to talk about insurance in a second. He couldn't get it. He had a he had a he had a medical condition that precluded him from getting life insurance from anybody. This annuity product said, "If you give us your money, we will charge you an outrageous fee, and if you die, we will give you two times the account value." What did he buy? He bought a really expensive life insurance policy. It was the only thing he could do to create an extra estate for his family. Made sense, right? It was the only thing. If you have a pension 
or you have a bucket of money that you want to turn into a stream of income, that's what annuities are for. Well, we look but at longevity. Great- we look at longevity risk. I mean, that's what you guys, yeah. when I read any CFP stuff, it's all now around longevity issues, right? So an annuity is a sure. great way, great way to get around the problem of living a long, long, long time. But that doesn't turn on at 60 right. when you retire. Yeah. That, that defeats that purpose because part of the downside with you know, fixed products or payouts like pensions is that that money is going to be fixed forever. And the, the one thing that is true about uh, the market, and I don't mean the stock market, I mean the economy, is that everything costs more later. If you build your lifestyle on $2,000 a month because that's what my annuity payout is, 20 years from now, you're going to need 2500 bucks a month to keep the lights on. Implying that you shouldn't put money in a 401k and should put it in an annuity instead. Do we have to start a TikTok channel to just combat this? Oh, it's that's, just I horrible. Mean, that's how we started sagging Benjamins was because of all the nonsense. So, hey, but this is this is great though. There was a follow up video. Listen to the follow up oh, video. Excellent. I left comments. I can't believe how many people watch that video on annuities, but obviously, I can't explain everything in thirty seconds. So. Here's a link to a webinar. My company offers free webinars, and there should be several time options on there. Just make sure you put in the code 53, and you'll get a link. Please let me go to this. Then I can explain it. It is just, it is Can you please send awesome. me the link? Please it's, send me the link. It's crazy. I'm not disclosing this. I'm not, I'm not giving her. We Disclose already gave it her. to me, please. I have nothing else to do tomorrow. <laughs> I totally want to do this. Too much. It's I for think the it, good of mankind. Well, I th- this is a few days old. I think it already happened. But the Oh, po- my guess is, is that her company has lots of webinars. Yes. You just pick a time. They're on the hour every hour, 24-7, 365. If you want an annuity, we can sell it to you. It doesn't matter when. It's amazing. It's sales tactics like this, which is why people say annuities are sold not bought people don't seek uh, them out because of people like this that uh when you put a hundred thousand in i will get eleven thousand dollar commission that takes too long yeah how how did that video get three hundred thousand likes peter peter says he's like please 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 consult with multiple professionals before buying an annuity how did this video get over three hundred thousand likes oh my goodness so i think that might be business I guess so. That that might be, I, I couldn't live with myself. Number one, number one takeaway here is uh, making your financial decisions on TikTok. Maybe. Not yet. Maybe not, yet. not that. Wait till we get on TikTok and then you can do it. Yeah. And then number two, very, very seriously, I hate to go from this ludicrous stuff to very serious, but you're having financial problems. You got to talk to somebody. Go, 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 go talk to somebody. And on that happy up note, OG, you and I are going to go get a drink of water because in just a moment, we're going to talk insurance, how to make better insurance decisions. That's going to be a fun topic. But first, we got Doug's trivia. So, Doug, take it away, man. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And I'm here to let you know that today is Please Take My Children to Work Day. But, uh, you know, as you know, I don't have any kids. I wonder why Joe's mom always says, thank God, when I say that. Huh. Well, but there are a few people down in the basement who someone could take away for a couple hours or like even a month. And I'd be eternally grateful. Uh, don't get me wrong. Seriously, don't take this the wrong way. I love Joe and OG. They're class acts. Really, two or three of my favorite guys. 
But all of this extra time I get to spend with them because of coronavirus is really, I mean, no offense here, but driving me up the wall. Space? Not anymore. Naps at lunchtime? No way. So uh, while I find someone to take these guys off my hands, seriously, like even for an afternoon, I'll pay you. Uh, I'm going to let you think over today's trivia, which is this. Which state in the U.S. has the most kids per family and which state has the least? I'll be back faster than you can attempt to add another kid to your own family's roster. Well, maybe not that fast. Well, I know we talked about this before, OG, but I have these amazing earbuds from Raycon. And whether you're working from home or you're working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not what your roommate, your neighbor, mom's neighbor, Doug, your mom upstairs, your kids, what all those people are listening to. Everybody needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now, you already know Raycon earbuds start about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands that you know. The newest model, the ones that I have, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are the best ones yet. Six hours of playtime. By the way, it says that I'm packaging a lot. Hey, this gives you six hours? No, really. This gives you six hours. Seamless Bluetooth pairing. In fact, it's funny. I did the thing that all guys do. I just took them out. I charged them up. It was so easy to figure out how to charge them. I charged them up. I popped them in. And bam, there's these cool instructions about how they work. Did the guy thing. Didn't even think about it. Seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for conference calls or binging the Stacking Benjamin show. Game changer for me, especially now that I'm on the go. The package is so tiny that they come in. I've got one little pocket in my new bag where I take all the podcasting stuff, and they go right in that pocket. Bam, put them in. Lightweight charged, ready to go. So unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet. No dangling wires or stems to distract anybody during video calls. You've heard me talk about the company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Cardi B, OG are obsessed with Raycons. Why do you keep looking at me like that? Pick up a pair and see what the hype is all about. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash SB. That's buyraycon.com slash SB for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash SB. Hey, stackers, it's your slightly peeved but trying to stay positive guy, your your favorite neighbor from down the street. It's Doug. I'll admit, these guys really grind my gears sometimes, but as a pro, I'm going to keep it upbeat. Uh, I'm not, not talking about accusations about the canned peaches. I won't stoop to acknowledging the number of times I moved my car so OG could wash his and I had to actually do it, and how horrible it is to share the Netflix remote with Joe. Won't mention those things, because I know sometimes I don't do a great job selling these guys. But I must say, they are an absolute pleasure. Two true delights. So please, please, I'm begging you, please, take them off my hands for like a couple of hours. 
Oh, look. Oh, there's someone right now listening to us. And they're text messaging right now asking to take these guys. Oh, oh, and here comes another. Oh, my God. It looks like the demand is through the roof. I'd say this, listener, you'd better get in on this before it's too late. And Joe and OG find a wonderful temporary home that doesn't involve you. Don't tell me you aren't looking forward to an early morning getting yelled at by OG or getting lectured on board game rules by Joe or like instructions for the board game that take twice as long as actually playing the game. While I figure out who out of the many, many suitors is going to take Joe and OG off my hands. Uh, Sorry, I mean who will enjoy their company for a little while. Here's your trivia answer. Now the question was, which state in the U.S. has the most kids per family and which state has the least? The state with the most kids might not come as a huge surprise. At 2.32 kids per family, it's Utah. And the state with the fewest kids per family, coming in at 1.73 kids per family, is New Hampshire. Now it's time to go offload two kids from this little family. See ya! All right, man, we spent a lot of time on our headlines. Uh, Big, big stuff going on. But also big things here with insurance. And people purchase the wrong insurance for the wrong reasons. And to kick off this discussion, OG, I want to ask you, When it comes to insurances, what is the number one thing that people evaluate first when it comes to insurance? Price. Price, which drives me crazy because what ends up happening is this is how people get sold the wrong insurance. They meet somebody who sells insurance. They suggest that you need an insurance. And then you're talking to the salesman that happens to sell it, right? annuity TikTok lady. She happens to sell annuities and it's amazing. So you start falling for the sales pitch that way. Where should you start with insurance? I mean, it sounds really cliche-ish, but you have to start with the plan. You have to figure out what are you trying to do from an insurance standpoint. If you are single and you have no debt, even if you have debt and you're single, you probably don't need insurance or you need a very little teeny tiny bit, you know, to give the mom and dad or something. Yeah. I'm with you. I think you have to widen this discussion from insurance and you're going to make better decisions. If you think about risk management instead. Our, our, what we call it is responsibility. You know, you have to think about this from the perspective of what responsibilities do I have if I'm not able to, we're talking about life insurance, if I'm not here anymore. So I'm 42. I have a mortgage. I have a spouse who doesn't work and three kids who are under 13. So my responsibilities are to pay for the house and to help my kids with college and to make sure that my family can put food on the table if I'm not around anymore. Those are my responsibilities. And when you think about it like, well, if you're 30 and you know, you're just recently married, or you're in a relationship, what are your responsibilities? Well, it might be different if you have a spouse or partner who's working full-time or you don't have a lot of debt or you have a lot of debt or it, it, and this changes as time goes on. So what is your responsibility situation at 25 is going to be different probably than your responsibility situation at 45, which is then again, different at 65. And the things that you think about in terms of what you're trying to protect or what you're trying to 
leave as a legacy, you know, becomes more or less important as time goes on. So it's a movable target. Yeah, I think when you th- when you think this way, OG, I really like what you're saying because when you think this way about what my responsibility is, then your number one thing that you think about is not insurance. You're thinking about holes, and then you think about resources. Yeah. And, and a lot of the time, you have resources to fill those holes. So you talk about people not needing insurance. If you already have resources, there's no reason for insurance in that area. Sure. Think of it this way. Let's say that you're 42 years old with three kids and a non-working spouse and a mortgage, but you have assets. You have a 401k or a brokerage account or both of those things, or your 529s are full up. Well, you have a responsibility, but you've already taken care of that responsibility. And like you said, when you think about it from the perspective of, you know, what am I trying to solve from a risk management standpoint? If you look at it and say, well, how much insurance do I need? Well, that's the wrong question. It's the question is, what are the responsibilities that I have? And then you start going through and saying, where are the gaps? Oh, well, it says here, because I did the math, that I need to provide my spouse with $80,000 a year of living expenses, because that's our budget right now. And in order to do that, I need $2 million of money. Well, I have a million already. Well, then what's the, what's the gap? The gap's a million. It's not $2 million of life insurance. You know, an amateur would look at that and say, well, you need 80000 a year of income. That's $2 million of life insurance. A pro would look at that and say, well, you, need, you already have the million. You've already taken care of some of your responsibility. And again, this changes as time goes on. Right. It's not a, a life sentence, so to speak. When you look at responsibilities as it relates to your, uh, an illness or an injury, we just, I mean, this is still going on, obviously, but there's hundreds of thousands of people who are off of work because of illness. There's hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people that are off of work because of somebody else's illness. But if you get in a car accident, what are the responsibilities you have? You know, the bank doesn't give a crap. They want the payment on the first. Student loan people, they don't give it. They don't care. They want the payment on the 15th. That's just how it is. So what are the responsibilities? And then you look at it and say, well, I have some resources. I've got an emergency fund. I've got a group plan that pays me a certain amount if I'm unable to work for an extended period of time. Well, what else do I have to do? Well, the other thing I have to do is save money. Well, a responsibility that I have is to set aside some of my earnings every single paycheck so that I have money in the future. Well, that might not be covered. Well, how do we take care of that responsibility? I have this responsibility for online. Then it gives you something to look for in, in terms of shopping, so to speak. You know, it's... um it's just like if you're moving to a new town and you just say, what do I need? Well, I need, I need living establishment. I need a place to live. Well, could you live in a hotel? Sure. Could you live in an extended stay America? Absolutely. Could you live in a Four Seasons? Yep. Could you live in a condo, a house, a farm? There's thousands of places to live. You have to narrow it down and say, well, do I want to live close to work or far away from work? Do I want to live close to a good school or far away from a good school? You know, so my church or whatever is important to me. And you have to narrow it down. And the only way to do that is you got to start with, there's a saying, what's that saying? Start with uh, something in mind. <laughs> the, start with the beginning in mind. No, it doesn't sound right. Are you making fun uh, of me now? I think you're making fun with, of me. Uh, start, with, start with the goal. I can see you start with the end in mind. Stop it. So the key then, number one, don't look at the price, widen the argument and think about where are my risks and let's talk about those risks because uh, the average person has lots of different risks. 
but there's a risk that you'll be in a car accident. There's a risk that the place you live will burn down, right? And the reason these are important is most people use a vehicle to get to work, to get to their job. Your house might burn down, place that you live. You also might have the risk that you get hurt and you can't work. So that's another thing. And then another risk is that you pass away and then there's not an income stream coming in. So we, we look at those different risks. And I think the next thing to do, OG, then is to assess which one has the highest probability. Because if we look at the risk that has the highest probability of happening, that's where I need the airtight plan. If the risk has a low probability of happening, then I may not need a plan. And as an example, some people listen to the show, but you know, we've had the discussion about pet insurance as an example. The reason why pet insurance fairly inexpensive is because it's really easy for the company to make money with that because the risk that you're going to use that is not all that high. Accidental death and dismemberment insurance through work, right? Incredibly inexpensive. The reason it's inexpensive is because the insurance company has already done the legwork. So for me, the way that I know, and this is going to hopefully change the way a lot of people think about insurance, the way to know which risk is the highest is to look at the insurance policies and see which one costs the most. (laughs) And I'm not saying, I'm not saying go out and buy really expensive insurance. What I'm saying is, this is a a great sales pitch for an insurance agent. If you're, if you're listening. Well, but here's what I'm saying, because, because what I am saying is this, OG, these people are in the business of making a profit. Right. And if the insurance is really cheap, they don't want to position. The reason they position it cheap is because it's profitable cheap. The reason they position it as super expensive is because of the fact that it's hard as hell for them to turn a profit in that product category. There's now people often will say, well, I don't buy that type of insurance because it's a ripoff. You look at how expensive that is. And it usually is an insurance where it's used a lot. Well, look at this insurance. This is a simplistic way, but insurance is priced very simplistically. It's probability times magnitude. When you look at your car insurance, you're talking about likelihood of using something. These are statistics I've seen before. I can't quote where they're from, and I can't even tell you whether or not they're in the ballpark (laughs) being accurate. Yeah. Before OG gets into this, just remember, it was Abraham Lincoln who said, beware statistics on the internet. Yes, he did. Abraham Lincoln. That's actually pretty funny. (laughs) Thank Um, you. uh, Once a show. So what's the likelihood of using your car insurance? Number I've seen tossed around is about one in 500. The likelihood of getting into a car accident and and requiring your insurance. Likelihood of your house having a claim, uh, a sizable claim is about one in 1,200. So if you look at it from a probability standpoint, you say, well, based on that, my car insurance should cost more. Well, hold on a second. What's the average replacement value of a vehicle? 20 grand, 30 grand? What's the average replacement of a home if it burns to the ground? 300,000, 400,000 with all the stuff inside. And you're right. When it comes to the profitability, we've had two house claims in our house, two hail roof claims in the span of 15 months. And our insurance didn't go up the first year. It didn't go up the second year. I was like, this is pretty awesome. And then this year it doubled. 
<laughs> not so awesome. So I'm like, this is it. I, I'm shopping around. It's too expensive. I'm, I did, did, did the same thing, right? I just looked at it and said, this is ridiculous. I'm not paying this, you know, because they anchored it and said, this is what you should be paying. And then they doubled it. And, and now I've got this new number to consider. We shopped around. We called everyone. They were all within 150 bucks of one another for the same coverage. So what's that tell me? That tells me that the market has decided that this is the, like to your point, the insurance companies are generally not out there losing money. Geico makes crap loads of money every year. Nationwide makes crap loads of money every year. And when they send it, make make an advertisement and say, we're going to give you $2 billion back because of claims. <laughs> Guess what? It's not because they took a line of credit for $2 billion. They took right. it out of their checkbook. Right. They know exactly where that's from. And so it's priced there. And I think what, what people make the mistake on when it comes to something like a product insurance, car insurance, house insurance, whatever, is that you start taking the things off that you need to keep that price low. There's a reason why that insurance is the way it is and the price that it is now. You got to shop for it. You got to look around. You got to make sure that you're getting some comparisons. But if it's in the ballpark, it's in the ballpark. And where I see people make mistakes is they do the wrong thing with the wrong insurance. So we're talking about like, how do we solve some of this problem? We've, you know, sure, I'd love to have $10 million of life insurance coverage on all my kids and houses. Houses, like I have more than one <laughs> house. All five of yeah. my houses. All five of my houses I'd like to insure, you know, but I don't have the money because I've got five houses. So I can't insure them all. Um, but there is a real issue of cash flow. And so where do you kind of pull, what levers can you pull to adjust that? And I think some of that conversation comes back to the responsibility component of it. This is where you can save then, to your point, this is where you can save a lot of money on insurance, is look through your insurance policies that you have now and think about the chance of that risk. And then think about, can I cover this without that insurance? And while some people love pet insurance as an example, I went to that earlier, maybe I can cover that risk myself. Second thing is accidental death and dismemberment. If I work a desk job and the chance of me losing a limb is incredibly low, get rid of that insurance policy altogether and just have a good disability policy plan instead. If you have a good disability policy plan and good life insurance, why do I need, why do I need it to happen in an accident? I used to joke with people with accidental death and dismemberment that if you've got a huge accidental death and dismemberment policy and you feel a heart attack coming on, run in the street and get hit by a truck because then- that baby's going to pay. Just make sure the truck kills you first before the heart attack does. Cha-ching. You still lose, but your family wins big. You don't want to need it to be an accident. So you can look through these unnecessary coverages. And then, OG, on the things like home insurance, you talk about how a lot of people will never have a homeowner's claim. Maybe they'll have one. I mean, you got to look at your, your own experience, but that's a place where you can raise the deductible. And when you raise that deductible... Because you have an emergency fund, then you also start finding you save some some money. That's where you start really saving money insurance is look at the probability of risk, raise deductibles in areas that you you might not need as much insurance coverage and get rid of unnecessary coverages. Well, you'd see, I think, if you went to your auto insurance, for example, and said, what's the difference between a $500 deductible and a $2,000 deductible? 
the premium would probably get cut in half because I'm not an expert with this. There's somebody out there that is, but there's probably lots of low end claims and lots of high end claims. There's probably not a lot of middle claims. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I got an offender bender and it's 1500 bucks to fix the fender and paint it. Or I rolled my car three times down the highway <laughs> and I need a new vehicle. There's probably not a lot of, you know, middle of the road. So if you can cover all of that low end stuff, what you're trying to decide, again, back to our responsibility kind of conversation is if something were to happen, can I cover the low end stuff on my own? Because the likelihood I'm a safe driver, I wear my seatbelt, I work from home so I don't commute very much or if ever. And, you know, all those, maybe that is a pretty low likelihood, but you still want to cover the catastrophic stuff. If a train T-bones me on a, on a train tracks, I want a new car. So I want the $20,000 coverage. I don't need the bumper coverage. And when the insurance company can say, okay, we know that we don't have to dedicate any resources to this person until he calls and says, guess what? I rolled my car three times down the interstate. Then we know that we don't have a claims representative for that person. We know that we don't need to worry about a body shot for that person. We don't have to handle any sort of low end thing. We can direct resources to the, to the higher end stuff for that person that lowers the cost immensely. And on the corollary to that, I see lots of people who don't insure the right stuff. You know, how many people have jewelry, for example, you know, rings and engagement rings and wedding rings and watches and stuff like that. And you look at your homeowner's policy and guess what that covers? A grand? A tiny amount. I without, mean, without that I separate have just a simple wedding band and it was like 800 bucks. And I know how much my wife's was, slightly more than 800. So you got to, you got to, you know, they miss that stuff in exchange for, but I only want to have a $500 deductible or $250 deductible on my car insurance. Like, no way. Raise the deductible on your car insurance to $2,500 because you've got a good healthy cash reserve. And then make sure that grandpa's vintage watch is insured correctly. Some idiot comes in and takes your stuff. Yeah, you end up being you end up being cash flow neutral, but you have insurance that fits you much, much better yeah. that way. That's another thing about homeowners is, you know, when when our house got robbed, we luckily had taken photos around the house of, of our stuff. Um, Stacks of money. Yes. But you're just like, Hey, can I borrow this? You went to the bank, (laughs) withdrew all your cash, piled it up, like put it in drawers. Like, and this is where we keep another hundred thousand. Yeah. (laughs) All that big podcasting money we put in a pile in the middle of the room and uh, got that. But that's important. We had to fill out this inventory of what we had to do that you have to know what you have without 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 committing yeah. fraud how many polo shirts do you own right now it's like I, I don't know well how do you know if you've been made whole or you know if you have a house fire? we had a house fire when i was a kid and the whole upstairs of the house burned down you know i you knew the big stuff well we had a bed yeah with a mattress with a dresser how many pairs of shoes are upstairs uh, uh, i don't know <laughs> you know how many polo shirts or how many pairs of pants and like the stuff to be they want a proof of what type of tv i had because the difference between a vizio what's that gold plated of course i said without committing fraud yeah yeah. the uh but because the difference between a vizio and a samsung you can be it can be a ton of money so what type of thing and and by the way for the police report they wanted the serial number on the tv because often Crooks will turn it into pawn shops and then pawn shops have to get ID and that's how they catch a lot of people. 
is that way. And of course, I didn't I didn't have serial numbers on my television or my. But computer. at least you had the Find My MacBook enabled I, on your MacBook, and you were able to. And I was able to right show to them it. right where it was, so they could still do nothing. My computer's in that house. How do you know? Because I'm pinging it right now. I can hear the sound. Yes. Ding. Yes. Ding. And for people that didn't hear that story, then the Texarkana cop went up to the door and knocked on the door. The person didn't answer, so they left a card saying, hey, if you stole Joe's computer, please call me. <laughs> Why do you leave your card at the door? I left my card. I'm like, wow, Sherlock Holmes. That's a... <laughs> That's that's a great strategy, Magnum PI. Just uh, no, so horrible. I bet that really you got a lot of flies with that, honey, didn't you? You called him Magnum PI. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do that. That would have been horrible. Uh, he's just doing his job. But when we talk about life insurance. You talk about things change, so we need to look at that too for these long-term insurances. OG, let's get into that for just a second. This is why we say, but for most people, buying term insurance is the way to go when it comes to your life insurance need. Because if it turns out that your family needs money because you passed away, they probably won't need that money forever. The longer you save, the more you have resources and your family grows. Cheryl and I went from a house of four to a house of two in one fell swoop with our twins. So any insurance need that I had was much, much less. As soon as yeah, the kids changes. were gone. And it changes. And that's why, you know, having insurance that's good for a specific amount of time and for a specific amount generally works better for most people. The cliche is buy term, invest the difference. But the reality is, is that nobody actually invests the difference. <laughs> you know, I mean, if I told you that a whole life policy, Joe, was a thousand a month and your term policy was a hundred a month, that doesn't mean that you're going to save 900 a month in your brokerage account. But again, thinking about it from the perspective of responsibility, if you say, okay, I have this responsibility, this is the responsibility I have now, and then five years from now, that number has changed because I've got two kids that have gone through college, then you can go back to that insurance company or that insurance product and say, I don't need this anymore. I can go get a new one. With a permanent policy, What's nice about it is that it's permanent, but what's down with the downside is that it's also permanent. You know, to make changes to it, you have to rewrite the whole thing, which is the same thing you do for the term coverage. But most of the time, the excessive costs of permanent insurance happen on the front end. So you yeah. don't want to kind of be replacing them every five years. And I know we're painting some wide brushstrokes and, and there are some permanent policies that you can reduce the coverage over time. You can reduce the amount of death benefit. However, the other thing to think about when it comes to that is when it comes to term insurance, these insurances are priced per thousand dollars of coverage that you get per thousand of need. So, and with the term policy, it's, it's always based on your age. In fact, inside of a permanent policy, it's based on your age as well. So think of it as if I buy a hundred thousand, it's, I, I, I have these units of a thousand dollars each and they're out there and there's a price and it's all based on how old I am. And of course, the older I am, the more the cost per thousand is going to be. And the reason that's important is insurance gets more expensive as you're older. And a permanent insurance OG is going to be much more expensive because it's going to be around when you die. And they know there's a good chance they're going to have to pay out that death benefit. It's permanent. They, they know they're going to pay it out. With a term policy, 
it's designed to go away at the same time that you probably are not going to need it anymore. Most people in their 60s will no longer need that policy. And because of that, they pay out significantly fewer claims, which means that cost per thousand, they can price a lot more cheaply and still make a good profit versus a permanent policy. And people think the permanent policy is a ripoff because insurance companies make more money. I seriously doubt it. I don't think so. Well, I mean, I read this book years ago that stuck with me for a while, which says all insurance is term insurance and all term insurance is one year term. Right. Yeah. Great. And it really is. I mean, if you look at a 20 year term policy, it's just a sequence of one year policies. And they add it all up, divide it by 20, and that's your premium. And like you said, when it comes to a permanent policy, if you're 40 and you're buying a 20 year term policy, they say, well, how much does it cost to insure? This individual at age 40 for a million dollars, at age 41 for a million, at age 42 for a million, at age 43 for a million, at age 44 for a million, and they add that all up, divide it. But when you've got permanent, they do that, but then they go to 120. You know, what's the probability of a 120-year-old dying today or this year if you're 120? Almost 100%. The same thing could be said about a 99-year-old. Sorry, hundred year old, hundred and twenty year old guy watching this. I don't want to yeah. spoil it for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag spoiler. <laughs> oh crap! I'm gonna die. Yeah, I'm gonna live to be 140. I put that on the record, but because uh, I want to see how my kids turn 100. But for most, you know, I mean, when <laughs> you get past you. <laughs> when you get past 90, you know that probability increases a whole sure. bunch. Yeah. So they know that they've got data on that and they say, okay, well, that's how much insurance. So if you have a hundred thousand dollar life insurance policy and you're 90 years old or you're 120, you know, how much do you think that premium is going to cost? Pretty close to a hundred thousand because they got to write the check. Yeah. They know what's coming, you know? So they take that number and then they add it to the number that what's the likelihood of a 40 year old dying today? Well, it's really remote. Put that all together. And then that's that premium also. And then there's also like extra things that are in there, but. And by the way, and not to complicate this too much, because, and and I want to ask you one more question before we put a cap on this OG, but this is the key to understanding permanent life insurance as well, because there's a cash option. The way permanent insurance works really well is you stuffing as much money into it as possible, which sounds ludicrous. Which, which is the exact opposite of what everybody would think is the right answer. Just like your conversation earlier about buying the most expensive insurance. Yeah. How do I make permanent insurance work for me? Put in uh, like 50 grand a year, then it'll really work. And the reason is in a $100,000 policy, if you've got $50,000 in it, the insurance company is only taking 50,000 risk. And because that insurance is getting more expensive every year, the more you can minimize what the insurance company has to cover and maximize your money then it becomes yeah the faster that you can do that is yes the which, which is mind bending until you've been through the discussion we just been through so yeah. uh lots to understand uh, uh two quick things everybody's different here it's difficult to paint a wide brush we say this at the end of the show every show consult with your financial advisor before you make any decisions based on what i'm about to say next but, oh, gee, two things. Number one, the type of insurance that people don't think about enough based on this conversation. Phrased a different way. All the people listening to the show, most people listening are probably underinsured in what area? Disability. That's me too. Disability. Everybody thinks not going to do it. Stuff. Yeah. 
well, they think either it's not going to happen to me. Statistically, it's a one in 20 chance that you'll be out of work for more than 90 days if you're 40 years old. But here's the thing. When you think about it from the perspective of responsibility, your work generally, if you have a decent uh, benefits package at work, will likely pay for most of your lifestyle expenses. You know, if you look at your income, you say, let's say you make $100,000 a year and uh, you've got a group plan that's going to pay you 60000 a year. Are you really in trouble of like not putting food on the table? No, not really. I mean, sixty grand's a pretty big difference from a hundred. I understand that, but you'll still be able to put food on the table. You'll be able to provide shelter for your family. So the issue isn't whether or not you can do those things. What's the issue? The issue is is that right now you're doing those things and putting twenty grand a year in your four hundred one k. So what are you not doing when you're on a long term disability program? You're not putting the twenty grand into your four hundred one k. And so what does that mean? Eventually, your disability program stops. Generally, it at 60 or 65. And what do you have to do at 60 or 65 no, under normal circumstances? You retire. And how do you get to retire? You've saved money your entire life. So if you become ill or, or sick or injured and you can't work for the last 25 years of your life, what do you have to do from a responsibility standpoint? You still have to retire. You still have to be in a position to retire in 25 years if you're 40 years old. And the only way to do that is to have extra uh, uh, coverage, extra insurance that ensures your ability to save. Most people look at this and they say, oh, yeah, I've got group coverage and I've done the math. So, you know, I can make it on 60 grand. I go, yeah, I know. And you probably have a good support system, a spouse or a, or a partner or family members who will help you out. They're not going to help you retire. The, that's the part that's missing, I think. It is a big part of what's missing. But I think that people don't think about even a third of that. Oh, gee, I think what's missing is a lot of people just think, oh, I got it at work, and it ends there. Well, yeah, you're probably right. Yep. Don't go into it nearly enough. Uh, on the other side, type of insurance most people have that they can probably cut. Hmm. We've kind of already talked about the big two. Yeah, I think it's that accidental death and dismemberment. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing. Uh, kid policies. Kid policies. Oh, that, that is a big one. Yeah. Usually you can get some free stuff through work. I have known two families who have lost a child and I guarantee I've never asked them this, but I'm, I pretty much guarantee that if they got an insurance settlement out of it, they probably lit the money on fire. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it just, yeah, it feels kind of weird. Yeah. And I understand, well, you know, I need some money for funeral expenses or something. You can get that for free generally through your group coverage. If you have access to that. Once again, you're managing big risk too. And you're also, when you think about coverage, when we talk about filling holes, you're trying to fill holes in income streams, right? For most people with insurance. And if, you know, unless your yeah. six-year-old is out there paying the bills for mom and dad, which by the way, I'm not adverse to, that would be, that'd be <laughs> that was a joke. I'm working on my four-year-old YouTube <laughs> channel. Yeah. Child labor people don't come after me. That is a joke. But my point is, is that yeah. if you've got a cash reserve, you'd never want to have to bury a child, but that covers that. The inexpensive policy that people don't have, which I think is really good travel for people. Travel insurance would be another one I think people blow money on. Travel. Well, it depends on how much the travel is. I'm looking at this trip in December that I had planned that I might not end up being able to take. And I bought insurance on it specifically for that reason. Remember Greg McFarland, a former contributor to the show, 
going halfway around the world to Australia, didn't get any travel insurance, and the airline he was taking went bankrupt. And because he couldn't get there, yeah, but like a your credit card will reimburse you for most of that stuff, and he got and again he, the probability and magnitude of it. I suppose you he know, got if you're going to do a once in a lifetime deal. Maybe you get it. Yeah, yeah, he should have had travel insurance for that one. But on some of these, you know, I'm taking a small airlines trip. don't go bankrupt, do they? Hey oh. <laughs> I love our new soundboard. Hey. Oh boy. Yes. We're here all week. Joe's uh, got new toys to play with. I want one. I was thinking if you're in the right profession, aka a profession where you're subject to lawsuits, especially for those people. While you may be sued professionally, people may also go after you personally, and an umbrella liability policy is is probably one very inexpensive policy that I think cost-benefit analysis makes makes a lot of sense for people. I'm not going to disagree with that. Yeah. All right, guys. Lots to know about insurance, but that's your primer. Glad we were able to have that discussion. All right. For those of you who usually listen to the show, we generally have the Haven Lifeline, but we took that time to teach you more about insurance and hopefully saved a lot of people a bunch of money getting their insurance in order. So big thanks to everybody for hanging out with us today. If you're somebody that needs more than just an insurance primer, you really need better help in your corner. OG and his team are taking clients. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG for the link to their schedule. Also, big thanks to people who've left a review of this here show to tell people what they're getting into. I don't think we mentioned when mom had this on the refrigerator before. Uh, this is from Wellness Minded Millennial, five stars. I accidentally learned something. This podcast is great for people who want to sort of learn a thing or two about finance under the guise of a variety show, a ton of banner and joking, sprinkled with nuggets of legit advice. I find myself laughing out loud at some point during pretty much every episode. I'll be doing a write-in vote for Doug 2020. Thanks for all you do, guys. Thanks for that review. Wellful-minded, wellful-minded, wellness, wellness-minded millennial. Easy for me to say. Mom's got that one on the fridge today. All right. Speaking of the fridge, it is time for us to go grab some chow, my friend. We'll be back here again on Friday, helping you stack more Benjamins. Doug, you've got it from here. What should we have learned today? Yeah, sure thing, Joe. I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take a lesson from our headline. TikTok, maybe it's great for old Doug's videos, but not great for financial advice from people you don't know. Second, take a lesson from our insurance discussion. Of course, price is important, but you'll really save money if you only buy insurances you truly need. But the big takeaway? Turns out... I just looked at Craigslist and saw that Joe's mom has been trying to offload me, too. Ha! Nice try, lady. You're not getting rid of me that easy. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Taylor Stevens, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter, at SBenjamin'sCast, or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes, not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. 
There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. There's a show we've been binging lately, OG. This is a show that came out in 2017, I believe, and it's called Broadchurch. What's going on? Someone said the police are at the beach. This morning, the body of an 11-year-old child was found on Harbour Cliff Beach at Broadchurch. Why didn't you see that he was gone? Why didn't you? We are treating Danny's death as suspicious. Do you think other kids are in danger? Maybe. So this is a show uh, you heard an 11-year-old boy is found dead on a beach at the beginning of the show. And uh, two police officers played by just two fantastic authors, Olivia Coleman. You'll know her from The Crown, where she uh, played uh, the queen the last season. She plays the older queen. She's been in so many other shows. Uh, Fleabag is another recent uh, one that Olivia Coleman was on. Also, David Tennant, who you may know as uh, Doctor Who and also was in shows like uh, Good Omen. Just two fantastic, fantastic actors, OG, uh, trying to solve this. And of course, they don't like each other very much, the two people trying to solve it. This is a seaside town. Everybody seems very straight up nice and you like them. And as the season goes on, season one goes on. Every single person in the town has a backstory that you would never have believed at the start. You're like, oh, nobody in this town did it. It must have been an outsider. By the end, not to spoil any of it, but you think anybody could have done it. There is so much going on under the hood of this little town, like there is in every little town. And everybody, you end up knowing everybody's business, everybody's secrets, everybody's Achilles heel. I've been told for a long time to watch this show, and I don't know why I didn't, because this is easily one of the best shows I've seen on, on television, bar none. Whether you like cop shows or not, or, oh, gee, things that blow up or not, um, this is great television. Well-written, well-acted. A couple shows that I listen to about the making of TV shows, 
TV writers always point to broad church writing as some of the best writing in TV. So highly recommend it. I can't believe I waited this long. Broad church, big fat thumb up. We've watched the first two seasons. Can't wait to get into season three. Okay. I'll put it on the list. Let me just write that down. No explosions, but Joe says it's great. (laughs) And you're not going to watch it. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers navy federal our members are the mission navy federal is insured by ncua equal housing lender 